It's Friday, June 17, 2022, and this is Pennsylvania Legacies, the podcast from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. I'm Josh Rollerson. Once upon a time, steel was the backbone of Pennsylvania's economy and the foundation of virtually all manufacturing. Boxcars and barge loads of ore would arrive at the mills of Pittsburgh or Bethlehem and leave as steel ingots, uniform slabs of solid metal, ready to be transformed into girders, pipes, machine parts, consumer goods, pretty much anything mass-produced at the time. Well, these days, most manufacturing relies on plastic. And once again, Pennsylvania is becoming a hub for a whole range of industrial activities centered this time on plastics. As with steel, anything made of plastic starts out as fungible feedstock that's melted and reshaped into something new. But unlike steel ingots, these tiny pellets of protoplastic called nurdles can easily get loose and end up in places where they shouldn't be, places like rivers and streams, and of particular concern, the digestive tracts of animals that live there. Particularly in western Pennsylvania, where abundant shale gas is driving an anticipated boom in plastics production, there's concern about the amount of nurdle pollution already present in waterways. Right now, a collaboration of conservation groups, academic researchers, and citizen scientists is working to document the problem, in part to get a better picture of possible future risks associated with the growing plastics industry. Fayette County-based Mountain Watershed Association is part of the effort, and WA community organizer James Cato has been spending his summer on Nurdle Patrol, trawling for plastic along the region's waterways, and he's our guest on this episode to tell us about the effort. James, welcome to Pennsylvania Legacies. Glad you're here. So glad to be here. Let's start with the basics. What's a nurdle, and why are nurdles a concern? A nurdle is a small piece of plastic about the size of a lentil or a small bean, uh, and it's used as the feedstock for almost every single kind of plastic product you can buy, from plastic bags to water bottles, uh, really anything that you can find in the store that's made of plastic. It's taken from all of these tiny little pellets, melted down and molded into a specific shape uh, to be bought by consumers. And sort of for, for disambiguation purposes, like this is distinct from what we're talking about with microplastics, right? It's so like similar impacts, similar settings, but this is before the manufacturing process. Correct. Yeah. So these these are usually, um, you know, these are not a product per se and that you, you would never buy these in the store. These are, these are out there uh, to be shipped around to different manufacturers. They're the first step. Um, to, to building almost anything out of plastic um, and usually not seen on, on the side where you go into the store. So in, in both cases, the concern is with these plastics ending up where they shouldn't be. Water supplies are, are, are a big one. Um, how, how does that typically happen? How do nurdles get into the water and how do they impact water quality? Nurdles get into the water uh, and into our waterways uh, in, in many different ways, um, and some are just slowly being understood. Um, the main way, though, is as they're being transported. Um, they will often be transported by railway, uh, and they'll be shipped in, in boxcars, um, and they're often shipped alongside other petroleum uh, products like uh, sweet crude, uh, and they're often actually used as buffer cars in between uh, cars of, of sweet crude or, or other liquid petroleum products. Um, and they can spill as they're being uh, taken out of the train and taken to another source of transportation or as they're being loaded into the train. 
Uh, I think those are usually how they end up getting emitted and spilled, and there's a release of nurdles. Uh, and they are very difficult to contain. They're very small and slippery. Uh, they're often stored the way grain is stored. So you can imagine a lot of grain getting loose when, whenever you, you know, open a train, whenever you're trying to pour them into another container. Um, and once they're on the ground, they'll be washed around by rain uh, and end up in the waterways. They do float, so they will end up getting, you know, they'll go through the waterway very quickly, and they can end up, um, you know, going from creeks into larger tributaries and eventually our main waterways until they end up in the ocean. And lightweight enough that they can become airborne pretty easily too, I would guess. Yeah, so they can be blown by wind. Uh, they can't. They can't necessarily fly the way like you would expect, like uh, styrofoam too. They're not quite that light. They are more dense than that. Um, but it would be easy for them to get washed away or blown away uh, and move kind of naturally throughout the environment very easily. Um, they can also travel through animals. There are a lot of animals that that will eat nurdles. Uh, they very closely resemble uh, fish eggs or frog eggs. They're somewhat translucent uh, with a opaque nucleus in the center, just like a frog egg would be. Um, and they're just about the same size. And they do tend to kind of cluster together when they're mm. floating on the surface of a water uh, body of water. So, you know, they're really easy to be ingested by any kind of surface feeding animal, whether that be a turtle, fish, uh, bird, uh, and they end up, you know, in the digestive system. They can travel that way too. And not to get too far ahead of the conversation, but I mean, is, th is that one area where an intervention could maybe be made where could they be made in such a way that they wouldn't be so similar looking to to eggs or a food source? I would imagine so. I think certain nurdles that, that we've come across uh, really so closely resemble fish eggs or frog eggs and uh, some design changes to nurdles could certainly circumvent that. Um, we have seen nurdles that don't resemble eggs quite as much that are a different shape as they're extruded they might come out in more of an angular shape um, and sometimes they are colored uh, to you know match whatever product they're going to be molded into so some of them are blue or green and not that kind of milky translucent mm -hmm. color uh, which is so closely resembling eggs okay so once they're in the water they're that much likelier to become food for something and now they're in the food chain. Can you talk about those impacts? How does that affect the health of the creatures that eat them and the creatures that eat those creatures and, and so on down the line? Yeah, so the, the impact is on a couple of levels um, getting worse and worse as it continues. So for one, um, the nurdles can act as sponges and accumulate toxins in the water. And I saw one report recently that found nurdles that had toxins concentrated up to a million times more on the surface of the nurdle than in the water around it. Um, so as it's in the ecosystem for longer and longer, it becomes more toxic oftentimes. So as they're ingested and re-ingested, um, that can become a problem for the animal's health. Obviously, this isn't happening to all animals. It's happening to specific animals. So it will have a pronounced effect within the ecosystem as it takes out a lot of surface feeders, uh, which may play a very important role in the food, food web. Another issue that, that an animal may have with, with eating nurdles is digestive impaction. Uh, they may be hard for the animal to pass through their system and they can accumulate uh, and lead to digestive blockages, which can end up killing an animal as well. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the You've all seen the, uh, the you know, animals that come up on the beach washed up and they're full of microplastics. A lot of times, especially with birds and turtles, that's a lot of nurdles mm -hmm. in there. Okay, so uh, this is all sort of table setting for the conversation that you're here to have, which is uh, to do with the, the nurdle patrol and the nurdle turtles. Who are the nurdle turtles and what's their mission, your mission? 
Yeah, so the Nerdle Turtles are uh, a group of folks who are in nonprofits, and we go out uh, on usually a motorboat, and we have this long uh, manta trawl, which floats on the surface of the water and has a mouth of about um, two feet wide, uh, and it floats on the surface. It's called a manta trawl because it closely resembles a manta, um, and it has this long net streaming behind it. Uh, and it will float on the surface. We hold it in one location in the river for 10 minutes, and then we, we take it back out and we look for what it has collected off the surface of the water. Um, and we'll choose one location in the river and then do five channels within that one location so we get across the entire width of the river. So you're, you're stationary in one spot as the water's flowing by and you're just catching what comes by? Yes. And then we, we, we do that five times across the entire river. Um, so that we have an idea of like where are a lot of suspended solids in the river, uh, you know, where do they tend to, to flow in the river. And usually there's one or two channels that have a lot more debris uh, than the other channels. So that helps us get an idea of like where is best to sample uh, and build up that baseline data of like where, you know, if there are nurdles, where are they going to most likely appear now and in the future. Um, and so we go out, we do that in several locations. We've sampled on the Allegheny River, uh, the Mon, we've done uh, the Ohio River most frequently, the Beaver River, um, and a few other locations. Uh, we're expanding, uh, but usually we do the Ohio River um, as, it's, as it's the area that we're the most interested in at the moment. Yeah, okay, so what's special about those places? How are you selecting locations? We're selecting locations uh, that we, we think could potentially have nurdles based on where like the railroads are, where we think there might be spills. Uh, but we're also kind of still exploring where are the best locations to to sample for nurdles. We look at what facilities might be there, what facilities might be there in the future. Um, and again, if there's like a transit spot where we think nurdles might be getting unloaded um, or, or loaded up onto a train, uh, we check usually downriver of that location to see if there are indeed nurdles entering our waterways. And this is research that hasn't really been done on any scale in this part of the country to date, as I understand. And so, and that's part of it, right? Because you're actually thinking ahead to data that might be coming down the road later. That's right. Yeah. So there have been really successful um, nurdle patrols, uh, both citizen science patrols as well as um, patrols run out of universities and nonprofits down south. And a lot of what we're doing is modeled off of their successes. Um, and they've, they've managed to have some really successful cleanups um, as well as steps taken to avoid nurdle pollution in the future. Uh, agreements that they've come to with, with large corporations who uh, are producing the nurdles and working on BMPs to uh, make sure that nurdle spills don't happen or at least are happening as infrequently as possible. Um, so they've been able to do some great work with updating that. And we wanted to bring that sampling here uh, as we know that there is a lot of plastic manufacturing going on in Western Pennsylvania. We wanted to make sure that we were investigating our waterways as thoroughly as they had down, down south uh, to make sure that we're protecting our waterways. You alluded to a bunch of nonprofits, different partners, and I think there's academic partners as well. Can you uh, l let me know who all is involved in this effort? Yes, absolutely. So uh, originally it was, it was just Mountain Watershed Association going out. Uh, we worked with a resident who's a volunteer, and he brought us out on his motorboat. So it started very grassroots. It was really just us going out and doing sampling. And we would bring volunteers from, from other nonprofits who were interested in the work. Folks from Climate Reality came out, um, Penn Future, uh, Break Free from Plastics, uh, and Beaver County Marcellus Awareness Community. 
they all came out as they were interested and they just served kind of as, as, as volunteers to help us sort through what we had found. Um, now it has been built out a lot more. So a couple years ago, I reached out to uh, the water collaboratory at the University of Pittsburgh and they forwarded me to an individual named Mike Blackhurst who uh, was really interested in nurdles and, and this sampling effort. Uh, and we took him out actually once on the boat. Um, and, and since then, they've been awarded Heinz funding, a coalition of folks from uh, the University of Pittsburgh, Penn State, uh, several nonprofits, including uh, Three Rivers Waterkeeper is involved, uh, Three Rivers Quest, which is uh, related to uh, University of West Virginia, I think, or WBU. And all of these partners serve in different capacities as they're working on this project from doing uh, in-depth analysis on the nurdles that we find. One component of our sampling that we felt was lacking a little bit was uh, how do we identify these nurdles? How do we tell where they're coming from so that we can work with folks to try to prevent these spills? Uh, and it's really hard to track where a particular nurdle might be coming from and also what kind of ecological impact it's having on the environment, uh, aside from just the aesthetic, you know, that there's plastic floating down the river and, you know, being deposited on the riverbanks. Mm -hmm. uh, so we partnered with uh, Dr. Sam Mason, who I believe you know, Guest on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and she is amazing. And she's helping us with uh, FTIR analysis, which is an analysis that will help identify the composition of the polymer uh, in individual nurdles that we're finding. Uh, and, and she and her lab will help us with that. Um, and once we know like what kind of plastic it is, that will help us kind of trace the trail back to where these might be coming from, uh, where they might be being manufactured, uh, especially if there's like a trace that we're able to find uh, to link them to different areas. So that's what we're hoping to do via via her lab. Um, and we have actually already sent all the nurdles that we've ever found out to her lab. So so that that analysis is happening right now. The other lab that we're working closely with is the Sanchez Lab at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, which is a chemistry lab, uh, and they're working on liquid extraction process. Uh, wherein they put the nurdle into uh, a liquid that they can then use to uh, determine what toxins, if any, and what chemicals in general are adhering to the surface of the nurdle. Um, and once they do, uh, they can they can make that list for us and what you know concentrations, uh, and and we can get a better idea of exactly how these nurdles are are reacting with the environment that they're being released into our environment. Um, you know, are nurdles something that we should be wary of picking up with our bare hands? Um, are they potentially poisoning uh, the wildlife that we see along the riverbanks? Um, these are things that we're hoping to find out soon uh, via the great work of these labs. I think it is actually a new element of the nurdle patrol uh, that hasn't been done before. From my understanding of it, and this could be outdated or, or wrong at this point, but my understanding was that a lot of the uh, work that had been done with nurdle patrols in the past had been through a lot of citizen science and a lot of counting nurdles on beaches, uh, riparian hunts for nurdles, and uh, it was presented as evidence uh, as you know they could they could find they could get closer and closer to the source of the spill based on the quantity of nurdles they are finding in a given area, and so they would use that to basically bullseye where mm -hmm. there's a spill occurring. Um, and then they could bring that in as evidence and they could bring in bags and bags and bags of nurdles that were that were coming in. 
Um, and that's that's an element of our patrol that we're looking to expand, actually, is the citizen science component of it. Um, we are doing the water patrols. We call them the float patrols still. They've been updated to now we go out every single month. Um, originally, we went out seasonally, uh, but we've ramped up since partnering with, with all of those groups. Um, and uh, we're hoping to expand the citizen science side of it. And that's something that we're working on actually this summer. We're trying to hold some events. We're going to bring out some kayaks. Uh, and we're going to have some folks come out. We'll have like a picnic or maybe a grill and we'll have folks come out and we'll go uh, down the river and kayaks nudge into different uh, little areas that we think might have a good strand line that might have favorable stranding conditions. Uh, and we'll have them look out and do um, one of the Nurdle Patrol protocols, which we have adapted from nurdlepatrol.org, which was one of our original inspirations mm -hmm. for doing this project. And that's a very simple protocol. All you need to do is go out to a given location. You have about a five foot radius around you and you take 10 minutes and you look for nurdles. And if you find some nurdles, you continue on for an additional five minutes. And then at the end, you have all nurdles that you found in, in your time period. And that's, and that's, your, uh, that's your data mm -hmm. point. Um, so it's a very simple protocol. It doesn't take too much time. Um, and especially for people who go out on the water a lot, um, it's probably something that they'd be interested in doing. Uh, if they can go out and just do a short, short little patrol, help keep their, their waterway safe uh, and add to a, a, a network of data that's uh, nationwide. Um, there's a, like a website that has all the data for where nurdles are being found. Uh, we did have to adapt the protocol slightly because it's, it's, based, it's based on conditions that you would find by an ocean. Um, a beachy kind of condition. Mm -hmm. On along the rivers, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, the hydrological conditions um, are, and river morphology, it's just, there's, there's a lot more, there's many more factors that come into play, how much it's rained, the water level based on lock and dam too is, is a factor, um, and they're deposited less than, than they would be on a beach. They're, they're carried farther downriver more often than not. Now, I don't know if you have enough data to say yet, but like, do do we have a sense of where these things are coming from that are finding their way to Pennsylvania, and you know how how far are they traveling to get here? We're not sure yet. Um, we we have we have not uh, been very successful in, in in finding a point source for where these might be coming from. We do believe that many of them are coming from right here in Pennsylvania along those transit lines. We think that's the most likely. Uh, and we found evidence to support that and that when we are finding tons and tons of nurdles on shore, we usually find them near railroads. Um, and so exactly where those spills are happening uh, is unclear at the moment. Um, but there are there are several uh, plastic manufacturers that would get shipments of nurdles uh, in the area. One in particular um, that I know about off the top of my head is there's a, a manufacturer that makes uh, like the zippers for a Ziploc bag. Hmm. So they use nurdles to make those zippers. Um, and so, you know, that's that's just one source of many where like potentially there's nurdles traveling along the railroads and, and they might be spilling out. Most recently, though, there was also a, a, a spill in Allegheny County that came about uh, where many, many nurdles were released. And that was unlike anything we've ever seen in terms of how many nurdles there were. And interestingly enough, uh, the nurdles themselves uh, were very different looking than the nurdles that we typically find. Um, so it's interesting to, to note that it's possible and in fact quite easy to speciate the nurdles uh, based on just looking at them. Um, these ones were smaller. They had that opaque nucleus, whereas usually the ones that we've seen uh, traditionally are more yellowed um, and they're they're more of like one solid tone. Um, 
So we're we're interested in that and potentially uh, for any future sources of pollution, uh, we might be able to to differentiate between you know what's spilled, and we're already doing that. Actually, we already have noticed that like some of the some of the nurdles that we found downriver, all the way down in the Ohio River, are nurdles that spilled in Allegheny because we can just see that they're different. So that's one thing that we're working on as well. And it seems pretty obvious how this becomes uh, increasingly important as there is more petrochemical manufacturing coming online in Western Pennsylvania. Obviously, I would think I, there's some value in this work for those very same companies in that, like, if they're using responsible practices, if they're being accountable for their impacts, uh, they would want to be able to say, that wasn't us, you know? Mm -hmm. They would want to be able to point to evidence. Yeah, absolutely. And we hope that this work will work for everyone. And, and our our main objective is just to make sure that this, this isn't happening frequently. And if we can adapt best management practices to, to make that a reality, we hope to work with any corporations or companies or specific facilities uh, that would like to work with us uh, in order to make that happen. And as you said, there's there's a, a big role for citizen scientists to play. How should people uh, who might be interested in getting involved go about that? Should they talk to you or should they go to the national level or, or what? It would be best if they if they talk to me um, and they could reach out by email. My email is james, J-A-M-E-S, at mtwatershed.com. Um, they can reach out to me directly uh, or really any of our staff at Mountain Watershed. Um, we employ the Okagani Riverkeeper, um, who's also uh, instrumental in this work. If they reach out to me, I can get them the protocol that they need. I can also get them glass vials, which were given to us by the official nerdlepatrol.org. Uh, we have tons and tons of little glass vials, which are really helpful for collection and data keeping. So if folks want to reach out to me to get involved with that, that would be wonderful. We're looking for folks to patrol the riverbanks really anywhere in the region because upstream data is, is valuable as well as downstream data for anywhere that we're looking in the region. So if you're, you know, just at the mouth of the Allegheny, that's great. If you're all the way down by the, you know, the Ohio border, um, looking at Nurdles, that's great too. Um, or West Virginia, we're really looking at all the waterways around here and trying to populate out that map as much as we can. And you know, it's great that this is one of those activities you can just do on your own when it works for your schedule, wherever you're at. You don't have to like be part of a big group or something. Exactly. It can be on your own time. It can be fun. Uh, and, and like I mentioned, we're going to try to kickstart uh, a citizen science event where we'll come out and, and there'll be food and a picnic and it'll be a fun little adventure kayaking down the river and, and looking at different spots and learning, you know, just exploring, figuring out where, where this might be impacting mm -hmm. our waterways, if at all. But yes, here in Pittsburgh, as well as downstream uh, at the in, in the Ohio River, we have always found some nurdles. Uh, so they are in the waterways, um, whether people have noticed them or not. They are here already. We were a little surprised by that um, when we first checked. We weren't necessarily expecting to find any, but we we have found a consistent uh, level of nurdles uh, in our waterways already. Has there been any coordinated outreach to uh, you know, anglers, paddlers, people that are already out there a lot that might be interested in this? No, but that's a great idea. That's, <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's what we're trying to work on. Uh, we're trying to get in touch with some fishing groups. Um, and yeah, like you said, like anglers, paddlers. Um, and we have, we have some, some great relationships with some like outdoor rec groups. Uh, and we're trying to tap them as well and see if they'd be interested in this. Okay, well, we will make sure and link to uh, all of the resources you just mentioned, including your, your email, if that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, James, thank you so much for being on the show. And thanks for all the work you're doing out there on the rivers. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
James Cato is a community organizer with Mountain Watershed Association and one of the self-styled Nurdle Turtles studying Nurdle pollution in the Ohio River Basin this year. You can learn more about the effort and how to get involved in the web post for this episode. You'll find it on the newly redesigned Pennsylvania Environmental Council website, still at PECPA.org, P-E-C-P-A.org. And of course, we're still on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all the usual places where you find the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, wherever you do encounter us. Hope you'll uh, let us know what you think of the show. If you had the opportunity to rate it or even better, leave a review, hopefully a favorable one. We appreciate that as well. That's all for this episode. We'll have another one coming up in about two weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening. <laughs>